who become godly because of sound teaching. You know, the sound teaching leads to sound character and sound living. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and competence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. And thank you for tuning in to the seventh episode of Working with the Word. Last week, we introduced a series to show what it actually looks like to put observation, interpretation, and application into action. So we're practicing our skills with Paul's letter to Titus. Remember, we don't want this podcast to be about the theory of Bible study. We can easily get caught up in that. Instead, we want you to put this into action. Remember our bear analogy from episode one. There were some bears in a national park that were starving because they had learned to depend too much on people to feed them. We don't want to be starving bears. Instead, we want to train ourselves to feed ourselves. So we would like to demonstrate what Bible study with observation, interpretation, and application might look like. And we believe that demonstrating this can help you have the skills and confidence to do this yourself. Emerson and I are going to be talking through the text of Titus 1. In our last episode, we did our flyover view of the entire book, and you've done your own as well. So now we've got a grasp on what the letter is generally about, sound teaching that leads to sound living. Today, it's time to get into the specifics with a ground-level and deep-dive look into Titus 1. Before we read the text, it might be helpful to get a really quick summary of what's in Titus chapter 1. So as we read through it, we're going to be talking through three main sections. Paul starts out with a typical style greeting. There are some neat things going on here that we'll unpack in a little bit later on. Then he jumps right into his purpose for writing, and specifically he's going to address the need for elders in every church and what those elders need to be like and what they need to be doing. And then he's going to follow up that with a reason why elders are so important specifically because false teachers are destroying the faith of many, and those elders are going to provide a safeguard against that. So with that outline in mind, let's listen to Jeff as he reads the text for us. Titus 1, reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness— in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. 
One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and consciences are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. It's really helpful to get a reading of that and to just kind of step back and, as we're going to be focusing in on this text today, to just wrap our minds around what is the beginning of the message that he's trying to convey to Titus. So let's start out with the greeting. Paul begins by saying, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the way Paul typically opens his letters. But you and I talked about that often we skip these greetings, right? We don't pay much attention to them. As we took a closer look, we found out that these are actually pretty important, aren't they? Yes, they are. You can find things in the greetings, even within these first four verses, that are either going to come up in the letter later on or just important ideas that Paul wants his readers to know. But they're not just to be filler for Paul to gloat himself up or to make himself look good, but they have a purpose, I believe, for each particular letter that is written. Yeah, you first of all learn about the people involved. Um, Paul is an apostle chosen, and he speaks about his purpose. He's chosen to preach the gospel that was, you know, beforehand prophesied, but now it has been proclaimed. You also learn about Titus and the close relationship that Paul had with Titus. He addresses him as my true son in our common faith. He kind of had a Paul Timothy relationship. I'd compare it to that. Yeah. But what I really like about this is you really have in this greeting a really concise summary of the gospel message. So he uses several key phrases like eternal life, godliness, and preaching. And all of those are key to the gospel, but also they're key to the the theme of Paul's message to Titus. You know, he's going to talk about those things. He's going to come back to those themes. And so here's a really quick study tip. When you're reading Paul's letters, don't look at the greetings as just fillers. They're not just random words put together to fill, you know, a, a word count, but they're intentional, and they set the stage for what's ahead. So as you do your study of Titus, look for those connections, and what do you find? Now, you may not notice these connections immediately in your first read-through, but as you study more of the body of the letter, and you come back to the introduction, you're going to notice more of those connections, and the introduction's going to make a little bit more sense. Helpful thing as we've both been getting into this process and, and making that realization for ourselves and trying to do better about not just skipping over the introductions and eventually we'll get to the conclusions and not just breezing through those conclusion greetings as well but seeing how do these either connect or look forward or look back to those parts of the body of the letter but after that particular introduction Paul does get into very clearly this is what I want you to do the reason he talks about in verse 5 so we want to talk for a second about statements like that in Verse 5 again, it says, the reason I left you in Crete. There are going to be statements or times that the writers of the Bible, especially of the epistles, will use statements like this to say, hey, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to focus on. This gives us some context or some background into some events that are going on 
and this is why this letter needed to be written to Titus, and why Titus would share this letter with the church, or maybe why John writes his letter, or the writer of Hebrew writes his letter. So look for those particular statements. Anytime an author makes statements like that, we want to acknowledge them as important glimpses into the situation and the context of what's going on. Some other examples along with what we see here in Titus would be like in the book of Hebrews. The Hebrew writer says in chapter 13 and verse 22, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. As well as John does this in his first epistle. He says in 1 John 5.13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. John uses this or similar statement seven other times in this epistle. So when in the observation phase, look for phrases like the reason, this is why, therefore, so that, etc., stuff like that, because those will help us to see either a flow of argument or a flow of thought, or again, those, this is what's going on, this is why this letter is written, and this is why this is here. Yeah, so you would want to underline or highlight if you do that in your Bible, or if you print out the text like we've been encouraging you to think about doing, that might be a circling verse, you know, pay careful attention to that. Everything in the letter is going to somehow come back to that concept, that verse. So as you notice those things or look for those things, let's actually get into what he's talking about here in these couple of verses. He talks about elders. Now back in episode four, when we talked about getting into interpretation and finding God's meaning in the text. We talked about how sometimes as we study the scriptures, we can maybe feel too comfortable with, oh, I know what this already says. We use that word that these are my presuppositions because of my background, my theology or doctrine or my wherever I'm coming from as I'm getting ready to approach this Bible study. Okay, I, I know this. This would be a moment we want to maybe highlight our red pen and bring that out again, some ideas we've talked about from episode one as well, of saying, before we get too far into studying, maybe write down what we think the purpose of this text is here. Why is Paul talking to Titus about elders in this circumstance? Get that down ahead of time. Maybe come back then at the end and say, has my presupposition matched up? Now, maybe it will, and that's great if it does. If it doesn't, though, then obviously there will be some growth from that, and that's a good thing to notice. Yeah, and the purpose of, of checking our presuppositions and getting out a red pen is so that we're not closed off to what the text says by what we think it says. And we want to be open. We want to just kind of separate ourselves from what we think and kind of start afresh back with the text itself. Yeah. If we keep referencing former episodes or we keep referencing former ideas, it's hard to open your mind if you've closed it off before you even get into the text. Mm -hmm. So that will help us to keep our mind open. But with these five verses here, we want to talk about this theme of elders. So Paul says, again in verse 5, For this reason, or the reason I left you in Crete, was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, who appoint elders in every town. So there's unfinished work on the island of Crete. For however long Paul and Titus were there, they were together. They were you know, working in either establishing churches or strengthening churches. But there is this unfinished business that needs to be addressed, and that is establishing elders in each of these congregations. So he talks then about this is what an elder looks like. Now you'll notice in verse 6 and verse 7, both of those talk about an elder or an overseer, an interchangeable description of the same mm -hmm. position there. 
are to be blameless. So we want to talk about that for a second. Uh, we want to talk about the idea of what it means to be blameless as it talks about being an elder. Really what we are talking about there with that is that does not mean we are perfect, we have been sinless, we have a completely clean record along the way. And one very obvious way I think we can see that is, number one, God wants people or wants churches to have elders, and if he wanted perfect people, sinless people, then I don't think we see anybody who can serve as an elder in that right. position. And so wouldn't it make sense for God to say, I want you to appoint elders, but you can only pick people who don't exist? All right, that, mm-hmm. that doesn't <laughs> seem to flow with the logic. We also can think about even an example in Scripture, though. You have Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. He talks about how I'm writing to elders as a fellow elder and giving some encouragement about you know how to shepherd and, and some of the things to consider there within that letter. Peter was definitely not a blameless person. We can go through the Gospels. We can look in the book of Galatians and see that Peter had his faults and struggles. But Peter was able to serve as an elder, as an overseer. So all that to say that the idea of blameless, I think, has to do with this trying to reach the standard of person who has great character, person who has shown great leadership, person who has shown great responsibility. And I think that we see some of that fleshed out a little bit more in the following verses through things like their household, through that character, then some of those characteristics that are given in a couple of the verses, as well as what he says in verse 9 with the are able to teach. Yeah, so it's not, blameless is not an impossible standard, right? And it doesn't even mean someone who has a really sketchy past. Peter's past was really spotty, but yet through the grace of Christ, he was able to overcome that. And he was a man who was devoted completely and wholeheartedly to to doing what Jesus had called him to do. And I think about Peter in John chapter 21, Jesus tells him to feed my sheep, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And he says that three times, probably in response to Peter's three denials. And so Jesus is reaffirming, you know, you can be useful in my kingdom, and I want you to do this work of being an overseer over the church. And so it's not an impossible standard. That ought to be encouraging to us as men. We don't have to be perfect men, but we should be devoted men. Exactly. And I think we see some of that as he talks about some of these other characteristics as well. He goes on in verse 6 by talking about he must be the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Really what we want to bring out from that is showing the elder's household and how he rules over his household. And when we say that, we don't mean that he is going to be ruling in a hostile, terrible kind of way, but we're seeing here someone who is leading his family through guiding his wife and being faithful to her. We see him teaching and instructing his children to grow up in the Lord, to be faithful to the Lord, to have that good character and conduct in their own life, as they all start with that basis of the sound teaching of God's Word. Really, that's going to be penetrating his heart as he's going to be that blameless person, or if he's going to be that blameless person. It needs to be based upon the teaching of God's Word as it gets into his family life then as he's leading his wife and his children. Yeah, I find it interesting that Paul says that his children must not be accused of wildness or rebellion. To some extent, the character of our children reflects the character of the father. Mm -hmm. It's not a perfect correlation, obviously. You can have a very faithful father with children who are wild and rebellious. We see a lot of examples of that in the scriptures. But when when Titus is looking for elders to appoint as overseers, 
over a church, he he needs to to be looking at the kind of role model that he is to his own family. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to be a role model to God's family, which is the church. And the way we know that he's going to do well at that is by looking at how he has already done that with his family. Yeah, and in fact, that's how that transitions into verse 7 there. He talks about as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, and then gets on to these other things. Mm-hmm. He talks about these different characteristics, and we see a couple of negative things or that he must not be arrogant, not hot-tempered, not excessive drinker or bully or greedy. All of these things which you know people who, or hopefully you don't know personally, but you've heard of people who were in positions of leadership or authority or trying to help other people, but behind the scenes were actually like this. They were actually very mean and were actually quite a bully. Things like greed and anger, those should not be among God's people in general, but particularly those who are going to be trying to lead God's people and watch over the flock of God's people. He then, in verse 8, contrasts that with a couple of good qualities, and I don't think that it's it's just restricted to these particular qualities or even just the 1 Timothy 3 qualities. It's, you're getting a picture of what this man looks like and his character. Uh, he's not going to be selfish or rude, but rather he's kind, he's loving, he's holy, he's self-controlled and righteous, and he's hospitable to other people. He has a desire to serve the Lord and desire to serve God's people. A lot of times when we talk about elders, when we think about elders, we think about that servant leadership that Jesus gives an example of, and we see that being drawn out through the character here of these people. If they have these type of characteristics, they'll be able to lead God's people as servants leading them in that position. But all of that is to help people by being good teachers as well. As they're overseeing the flock, it is not just to get an extra stamp on their card as they walk into heaven or anything (laughs) like that. That's obviously not the point at all. We see that they have responsibilities of caring for people, and what Paul tells Titus about particularly is holding on to that message that they've been taught, and the message of Jesus Christ, and the message of what it means to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, that they'll be able to encourage other people to live and to uphold that sound teaching that has already made an impact in their own lives and in the lives of their families that they've seen, as that'll lead into them with the house, as contrasted to those who would oppose it and would contradict that teaching as they need to refute that. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 5, in the list that Paul gives to Timothy about the elders to choose for him to choose in Ephesus, he says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? And I just bring that up to make the point that, you know, these, these qualifications we see here have a purpose. They're not just meaningless, yeah. but they have a purpose. They qualify a man who has the qualities of a godly leader over his church. So we see that Paul wants Timothy, Paul wants Titus, particularly as we're back in Titus in chapter 1, to establish these men. So these aren't meant to be excluding lists. They're meant to be look for people like this who will serve the church then in those positions. Look for these role models in a sense. While this is very specifically talking about elders, hope that we could try to find role models who would be like this, and they would either be developing themselves to become elders someday, or we think about maybe for men in particular, if you want to serve as an elder or you have that desire to serve as an elder, as it talks about in 1 Timothy 3, that you will be like this to help God's church someday through the way that you watch over people, leading them in their journey with the Lord, and especially as you're helping them to receive that good teaching they need and standing against 
that bad teaching. And that really leads us into that final section of chapter 1. He mentions at the end of that, refute those who contradict it, and then starts, for there are many rebellious people. So let's talk a little bit more about this last section, these last couple of verses of the chapter, what Paul's doing in this last section. Yeah, so this last section is really talking about the false teachers that the elders and Titus himself needs to oppose. And as you point out, I think it's important that we see the flow of thought here, because there really is a striking contrast between the character of elders who need to be serving as the model Christians and the false teachers. And so in verses 10 through really the end of the chapter, you see a lot of contrast in how they're different from the elders. Number one in their teaching, Paul says in verse 10 that they are full of empty talk and deception and that they're teaching things that they shouldn't be teaching. And so instead of holding to the faithful message and the sound teaching, they're just full of hot air, basically. Yeah. You know, just full of emptiness and things that are going to be leading people astray, particularly with the the circumcision. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Mm -hmm. just their character, you know, they're trying to lead people astray rather than building them up with the healthy teaching that the elders would be providing. Yeah. You also see a difference in their character, um, whereas the elders are to be blameless. That really just kind of covers everything else about their character and their home life. You see the false teachers are rebellious. They are greedy. The poet that Paul quotes here, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. You know, that's not the kind of person that we need to look to as an elder, they're greedy, they're lazy, they're defiled in conscience, and so yeah. they're so different from the elders and their character. They're also different in their families. Right. An elder is a good family leader. He's a good husband. He's a good father. But it's interesting in verse 11, it says that these false teachers are ruining entire households. So even the way that households are influenced by them, they're being destroyed and being torn down. And another interesting connection, and this goes back to the greeting that we talked about a little bit earlier, these false teachers are called liars, but in verse 2, it says that God cannot lie. Yeah. So these false teachers are not only different from the elders, but they're totally different from God himself. They're yeah. full of deception, rather than being full of truth. Mm -hmm. So you see a stark contrast between these worldly teachers and the teachers that Titus needs to be finding and building up so that they can lead God's church. Yeah. That leads us to the question, you know, what exactly were these false teachers teaching? It says in verse 10 that Titus needs to watch out for those, especially those of the circumcision party. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of details there regarding, you know, what exactly they were teaching, but he references later the Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. It seems to me when you put all that together that these were some teachers who were maybe similar to what we find in Acts chapter 15 or what Paul is dealing with in the book of Galatians where uh-huh. um, Christians are saying that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must keep the law of Moses. Yeah. They're drawing party lines based upon the Jewish commandments and Jewish customs. And instead, Titus needs to be preaching the gospel. And mm-hmm. that's the main point is that these these false teachers were not teaching the gospel for salvation. They were teaching something entirely different. And, and Paul says that they were contradicting the truth in, in verse 9 and rejecting the truth in verse 14. Those are really 
equivalent things. When you contradict the truth that is taught, then you're rejecting the truth in verse 14. So ultimately, where does that lead them? Well, verse 15 gives a really puzzling, (laughs) if you will, um, (laughs) kind of description of their character. He says, to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. This is one of those places where we kind of had to stop and scratch our heads and think about, you know, what what's the connection to what he says earlier? But yeah. I think the main point is that these false teachers are filling their minds with filthiness and deception so much to the point that that's what they become. Again, you contrast that with the godly men, the godly elders, who become godly because of sound teaching. You know, the sound teaching leads to sound character and sound living. Mm -hmm. And if you take away sound teaching and you replace that with deceptive teaching, then that's ultimately what you're going to become. You're going to become ungodly. And so the source of our instruction really leads to the way that we live. And these verses show how deeply embedded they become in worldliness and godliness. I've known people before, and probably you have too, who everything that comes out of their mouth is somehow twisted or defiled or filthy. Yeah. And that's just because that's what they fill their minds with. And I think that's what Paul is describing about these false teachers. Mm -hmm. So he finishes up the chapter in verse 16 saying that they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. Yeah. And that really ought to open our eyes and humble us because here we need to get out a red pen again and ask ourselves, you know, is this me? I claim to know God, right? But is this me, but with me denying God by the way that I live? And and how would I know? Here's where we need to go back to Matthew chapter 7 and say, I need to look at myself first. Is there a log sticking out of my eye when I'm trying to take a speck out of someone else's eye? I claim to know God, but how am I showing that in my works? And that really leads into chapter 2, which we'll talk about next week, when he tells Titus, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Here are these false teachers, and they need to be silenced by these elders who are going to protect the church. And here's your job, Titus, in chapter 2. You are to proclaim sound teaching. So as we get into the challenge for this week, we want to try to make it pretty specific and relating to something of the chapter. So we want to talk about the need for elders. We want to challenge you uh, to do one of two things. If your church has elders, pray for your elders this week. We want you to think about the huge responsibility that these men have to watch over their souls as they have been developing their character, as they have been instructed by God's Word, as that has made an impact in their life, as they are leading their families. Pray for them. Pray for their families and the work that they do as watching over the flock wherever you are with your elders. Maybe if you don't have elders, or maybe even if you do have elders, but you know men who are also kind of in training to be elders, whether they realize it or not, pray for those people too. Pray that men would continue to be shaped and molded by the gospel, that their character would continue to shine through, and that they would continue to exhibit that, that they would continue to learn and to grow as teachers of God's Word to help other people to be founded in the truth, to stand against error. As we think about these prayers, whether you're praying for your elders, praying for men to become elders, this may seem like a small thing. Okay, I can do that in four seconds after this episode is over and be done with it. (laughs) But we believe that this has a huge impact, that this is something that we are thinking about how the gospel can be 
impacted by the power of prayer. So think about that at wherever you are this week and whatever church you worship with, how that challenge relates to you and how that can grow and continue to develop with God providing that increase with you know men who serve as elders continue to do that work and growing in that work or men who become elders someday. And those are prayers that I believe that God will answer. Amen. Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word. If you found today's episode helpful and encouraging, please share with your friends and family. If you have questions or suggestions for topics or books of the Bible you would like for us to cover in future episodes, you can reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or you can send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.